welcome to the Development Policy Centre podcast. I'm Ashley Betteridge. In this episode, we bring you a recording from a recent lecture on child protection in Afghanistan by Kerry Boland. Kerry, a consultant to UNICEF and UNHCR, describes her experiences working to establish formal and informal mechanisms to protect children in a country scarred by decades of conflict. I am Robin Davies. I'm the Associate Director of the Development Policy Centre, so I'd like to welcome you all on behalf of the Development Policy Centre, but also the Children's Policy Centre, whose director, Sharon Bessel, is uh, co-hosting today's talk uh, with me, and she will chair the question and answer session uh, later after the presentation. Um, now, my role is essentially just to introduce Kerry, so just, just a couple of, of words. You've all read Kerry's uh, bio. She's a person of many hats. Um, I was fortunate to meet Kerry in, in Dili at an event on the post-2015 goals back in February where we first discussed this presentation. Uh, there are many things that Kerry could have talked about, with, but we agreed to focus in on uh, child protection in Afghanistan. Um, while the Development Policy Centre tends to focus on PNG in the Pacific, we do have an interest in Afghanistan. We made a submission last year to a parliamentary inquiry on Afghanistan. And we have a growing line of business around uh, multilateral uh, organisations as well and a, a particular interest in uh, UNICEF. So we're very pleased to host a, a discussion on this talk. Um, I think that's all I'll say um, by way of introduction. I'll pass over to Kerry now. Thank you, Robin. Well, thank you all for coming. And, and I hope from today um, you learn a, a little bit... Uh, about Afghanistan. Of course, we have, we're very privileged today to have people from Afghanistan um, here with us. So um, hopefully at the question time, uh, you'll get to share some of your ideas uh, and information as well. Um, as you well know, that the cumulative effects of war and poverty and displacement continue to erode community coping mechanisms and increasing numbers of children are at risk. Many children, as a result of that, are engaged in hazardous and illegal work. They're excluded from education, forced into early marriage, and often inappropriately placed in institutional care. In, in 2007, the, the Ministry of Labor, Social Affairs, Martyrs and Disabled, supported by UNICEF, established what's called Child Protection Action Networks, and uh, the acronym for that is CPAN. So if you hear me say CPAN uh, during the presentation, it's, it's simply uh, this coalition of government and NGOs at, at the national and the provincial level linking to district shurers, the, the, the local uh, committees at, at, the, at the village level, to protect and promote the rights of children in Afghanistan. Now, now, this um, Child Protection Action Network has, has, has two functions. The first one is to respond to individual cases of child rights violations with a case plan. The second one is to develop advocacy strategies to respond and prevent. So redress and capacity building measures being the basic tenets. My brief, my first brief in Afghanistan towards the end of 2009 was twofold. Assess the, the current operation of this program and lead a process of preparing handover of this Child Action Protection 
network to local counterparts. Um, so what follows now are mostly my impressions from missions that I did to support this program, uh, mostly in 2010 and, and, and a bit in other periods, but generally in that period. And, and the approach that, that uh, I'll talk to you about is um, using the monthly report that they sent into the country office in Kabul and, and going out uh, to the provinces and talking to the local staff uh, about their, their activity, their child protection activity, and focusing on particular cases, um, the prevalence, what they thought was the cause, uh, the case plan options, the wishes of the child and broader strategies that they could engage to respond and prevent. Um, my first, very first mission after I got this brief um, was uh, to head out to a, a province called Kapisa and uh, a, a report had uh, come in, the monthly report, and, and it indicated that uh, girls were being kidnapped in, in that province. And uh, there was a case of Miriam, uh, the girl here in the middle, who'd been kidnapped by a, a warlord when she was fetching water from a well. She was being held by uh, the warlord's drug-addicted son in their village. And uh, so that was one of the cases that, that we picked up on. And in the car while we were going out were two colleagues, and they voiced their horror that, that girls could be kidnapped and not only kidnapped, but kidnapped in their local area, and that the governor and police must be told by us to stamp out this practice. The first visit resulted in a cup of tea with the local minister, and this is the ministry, and this is the forecourt, the entrance to uh, our, our meeting, and uh, so forth. And uh, we, we had... Uh, a chat and a cup of tea with the ministry director and and really what transpired on that meeting was um, simply talking, getting to know each other and mentioning that we'd received this report and, and an offer to, to uh, assist with any problems relating to, to protection in, in his province. Um, and finally, a commitment to come back the next week. Um, and on the second visit, the, the case of Miriam that his department had reported was discussed in some detail. And what, what transpired was that a, a subcommittee was set up. This is the subcommittee. And uh, this is the kidnapping subcommittee. And the committee, uh, over a series of meetings, talked about the problem, the prevalence in the area. And they identified the problem as drought. Families could no longer pay dowries and they'd resorted, some of the families had resorted to kidnapping girls. And the policeman on the committee pointed out that each time he charged an offender, the offender's family had bribed the judge, got off scot-free and kept the girl. At the community level, girls were no longer attending school, they weren't going out to the bazaar, uh, even to the well. Um, so anyway, the, the committee got down to, to work, uh, having decided that the real problem was, was the, the dowry <coughs> levels and uh, the perpetrators not being punished and so forth. Now, the, the committee composition, uh, the chair there is the governor. Uh, he's the gentleman with the hat in the middle. 
Um, it included uh, the policeman, the, the judge uh, in question, uh, the women, women's affairs department, the religious affairs department and the mullah, and myself and a, a national staff person. Um, the, 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 the said judge attended every meeting and the women's affair representative interestingly uh, recommended that, that Miriam's best prospects, indeed her only choice, was to marry the kidnapper's son. The policeman, encouraged by the committee, stood his ground that the perpetrators were being rewarded for their criminal activity and it encouraged the practice. The outcome was that the Director of Religious Affairs would pursue uh, dowries being lower, the mullah would focus his Friday mosque talk on protection of girls and, and the, the, the sanctity of marriage and so forth. Villagers would be encouraged to watch a particular TV soap on family values. The village surers would monitor and report any such cases. Offenders would be prosecuted. Bribes would not be accepted by the courts or the police. The successful prosecution of such cases would be reported on the radio. Intervention was, this intervention uh, was then shared with other provinces at a national gathering. And uh, in this particular case, the girl's wishes was that she actually uh, returned to, to Iran where she had family and, and arrangements were made uh, for, her, for that to occur. Um, I think it's important to note that at, at no point in, in, in these missions to Kapisa was a sense of incompetence or failure conveyed. Um, and uh, secondly, the local players, they knew the real problem and indeed they knew the solutions. Um, and, and I think also uh, important to note, the problem remained with them. It didn't shift to the ministry in Kabul or to the UNICEF country office. Uh, there can be a tendency, uh, and, and, and not just in Afghanistan, but uh, to, 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 to say, uh, well, I made a, a report on that protection issue and I sent it up to the head office. Um, making the report is not the action that, 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 that changes things. Um, I just want to make a, a few comments now on juvenile justice. Um, UNICEF provided technical support uh, to the government's development of, of the juvenile justice system and most, most provincial centres uh, have a juvenile detention facility and uh, minors serving a custodial sentence or awaiting court are held in these centres. And in the centres that I visited... Uh, where girls were held, the girls were generally aged 14 to 16 years and they'd run away from forced marriages or domestic violence. However, it was the, it was the, the, the person who, the survivor of the violence tended to be prosecuted and the, the abusers uh, went free. Uh, that was even in spite of Afghanistan's 2009 law on the elimination of violence against women. Um, so, in effect, the, the victim is punished, not the perpetrator. 
virtually none of these cases uh, reported led to even an investigation of the abuse, let alone prosecution or punishment. Running away is, is no longer a, a crime under Afghan law, but that's yet to translate into policy. The view that women and girls should no longer be charged with running away has merely shifted towards charging them with attempted xena. Um, a, a charge of attempted xena, which I'll, I'll explain in a moment, unjustifiably assumes that a woman outside the supervision of their male relatives must have attempted to have sex. Indeed, some of the girls who'd been raped and forced into prostitution were convicted of Xena. And uh, it was also possible that male family members who helped these girls uh, to, to, to escape a, a, such a situation could themselves be, be charged. Um, there, there is a, a recent report, uh, Human Rights Watch, uh, on Afghanistan uh, titled Surge in Women Jailed for Moral Crimes. And that report uh, actually uh, indicates that there's been a 30% a increase in women and girls uh, imprisoned for moral crimes. Um, a typical case in southern Afghanistan was a 16-year-old girl from Kandahar. She'd been forced to marry a mentally unstable and uh, older man when she was 15. She'd suffered sexual violence and regular beatings until she uh, decided to run away. Um, her husband and in-laws had been beating her because she couldn't get pregnant. Um, and she was charged with Xena and served a custodial sentence of two years. Um, she had the additional problem of uh, not being able to be released because she didn't have a male relative that could uh, guarantee that she wouldn't run away from home again. Now, for that girl, the, 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 the local Child Action Protection Committee uh, was able to find her a place in a women's refuge in Kabul and arrange her safe passage. There tend not to be women, there are very few women's refuges in Afghanistan and uh, there were no women's refuges in Kandahar or other parts of Afghanistan for that girl. Um, my observation from the juvenile justice uh, system was that without a functioning criminal justice system, effective changes to law and policy and practice at the grassroots level institutions such as juvenile justice facilities can be filled for the wrong reasons. Um, I want to talk a, a little bit now about child labour. Um, there were reports of growing numbers of children working in coal mines in Bamiyan and uh, so uh, we went on a mission there to, to, to talk to the local uh, committee and the ministry about that. And, and after discussion with the local staff, it was decided to interview some of the children working in the mines to, to get some understanding uh, both of their working conditions and uh, protection issues. Um, and uh, a small point, there, there, there was a tendency for international staff to conduct the interviews and also to file the report. Um, so I took the role of 
simply having a casual chat to the ministry staff about what questions they might like to ask in terms of the information they might find useful and acted as a scribe for them. Um, now the following is, is, is a record of, of one of the interviews that they conducted. Um, the boy was aged 13, he'd received two years of schooling, he'd been working in the coal mine for a year. The coal mine was two hours drive by car from his village. His day starts at 6 a.m. and ends at 6 p.m. He works seven days a week. He works alongside other children and there's one adult supervisor. His father's not working because he's too old. He doesn't know how old he is. There's no other income for the family. He's the oldest child and he's got one sister and three brothers. The youngest child working in the mine with him is 10 years old. There's violence in the mine. If someone is a little bigger, they can hurt you, and sometimes the owner beats you. He receives 110 Afghanis a day. If someone is sick, the other boys take him to the clinic in the village. He visits his family every two and a half months. There's no place to shower or wash clothes. The children buy water from a man who brings it up to the mine. The children have to buy water to drink. All the boys work and sleep in the same clothes for two months. There are accidents. Some days coal falls down and hurts you. He would like to go to school. He would like to be a teacher. The supervisor punishes you if you're not working. If he doesn't like the conditions in the mine, the only choice he has is to change mines. Now, there was also a report from the district committee, which we had at the provincial meeting that took place. And I'll just read you a little bit from, from what uh, they had to say. There are up to 200 children working in each coal mine. So this is one district in Bamiyan province. There can be up to 50 children working in one part of the mine and they have little contact with each other when they're working. If one child falls down, then the other children would not necessarily know. If the e economic problems of the families can be solved, then all the children who work in the mines would like to go to school. The surers don't know what they can do to help. They already report bad accidents to the CPAN. The surers have no power to deal with coal mine owners. There are snakes, scorpions, and no water or washing facilities. There are many mines in the district, but the villages are a long way from the coal mines. The surers can't count the number of mines in Kilch district because there are so many. There are more than 100 mines employing children. Commanders are running some of the mines for Chinese corporates. Um, so with that information, the, the case uh, interview studies um, and uh, the information from that district committee that the provincial group sat down and, and they, they decided on the following. And, and I should say that often, as, as I'm sure you would appreciate, uh, the people on the ground are simply overwhelmed by the, the, the protection issue and, and therefore 
where to start and how to start is, is often the challenge. So in this case, um, they, they decided, first of all, they would engage the governor, and uh, the governor of, of Bamiyan province is a woman, uh, Governor Sarabi, who is quite an impressive person. I see some of my Afghan colleagues here in the room nodding. And uh, anyway, she, she took this on board and she, she attended the meetings. And uh, they decided that uh, they would lobby the, the, the mines department for implementation of a child labour law. There would be regular monitoring of the mine sites. Uh, they would engage local surers to, to, to visit the mines where the children were working, and they'd do this by having a roster. Uh, they'd work out where the actual mines were and they'd have a roster to do that, and they would refer and, and follow up individual cases they, they would also establish a local CPAN, a local child action network in the area where the mines were actually operating. And uh, as I mentioned before, with the help of the governor, they were going to take this issue to Kabul. Uh, the other thing they decided to do was to feature good practice because there were some mines where there was health and safety reasonable conditions and, and indeed mines that, that only employed older children for shorter hours and, and so forth. Um, that strategy obviously will be ongoing and it, it won't necessarily change the situation but uh, it, 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 it's uh, I think a useful illustration of, of what can be attempted. Um, that's the committee that I was talking about that, that took the information from uh, the district and the interviews from the children and uh, as far as I know are still uh, managing that strategy. Um, moving now to um, a mission I undertook in uh, Jalalabad and uh, the, the purpose of the mission was to reduce child labour. And while I was there, a, a local staff person at the ministry asked if I'd been to the brick lanes and did I know that the director of the department and indeed the chair of the CPAN was part owner of these brickworks. So uh, what resulted was I, I, I was taken out to see the brick lanes. And uh, um, this photo here um, is... is uh, the first thing I saw when I got there, which is uh, four-year-old children, uh, and they turn those bricks. Um, um, and the, the, the whole group of these little children sitting like that and just turning the bricks and moving and, and in, in very hot weather. Um, this little girl uh, belonged to a family of uh, six. Uh, the father and, and the five children were working. And... Uh, she actually has a broken wrist. She, she, she'd got up a tree and fallen out and, and broken her wrist. Um, but she was still sort of working with one hand. And the, the father said <coughs> that uh, unless he and his children worked six days a week, uh, they did not earn enough to, to feed the family. Um, there was no school uh, in, in the uh, area where they were living. Um, and... Uh, the, the girl had not had medical treatment. Um, so then the discussion with the, the um, ministry uh, staff and the SUPAN said that the, 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 the problem was that the role of the director was obviously a challenge. Um, 
and uh, it did result in in a visit with him to the Brickland uh, Lanes, um, side sidelining the director, uh, who was a prominent commander in the area, wouldn't wouldn't work. On the other hand, poor choice of local leadership in a government ministry doesn't work. Um, I'm now moving to Nimros, and Nimros is uh, on the border with Iran. And uh, on arrival, uh, as you come in, you tend to sort of look out of the plane to, 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 to see the local features. And in this case, uh, um, I said to the uh, local staff person when we arrived, uh, what, what, what is the industry here? Because all I've seen is sand and more sand. And his reply was, smuggling, madam, uh, drugs and people. Um, and uh, he, he uh, added that, that there'd been an attempt on the governor's life in, in the week prior to uh, our visit. Uh, there were no international staff in this office, just national staff. And the purpose of the visit was to support a, a newly appointed uh, CPAN officer in the ministry who was a, a Belush female uh, who, who the reports had indicated had a tremendous activity and, and uh, wanted to make a, a number of positive changes, hence this mission to support her. Um, now, now, the first uh, photo here is um, uh, relating to uh, her visits to the juvenile detention facility where she noticed that children were shackled and kept in inhumane conditions. Some of the children had also reported sexual abuse by the director. Um, and uh, again, during this uh, mission, uh, we had uh, several meetings with her and the ministry. Uh, we also engaged the, the governor again on, on this occasion um, because uh, she decided that the director had to be removed the juvenile detention facility had to be relocated, uh, complete new staff, uh, all shackles removed and never to be uh, used again. Um, so as a result of that, and I think really our role, again, was only to support her and the local committee and, and uh, to, to, to give her the competence to take it to the governor. Um, but, but again, she clearly understood what was happening and, and she had the, the, the solutions. So the, the, the director was removed, new staffing, new facility, and uh, she also arranged regular visits by the Afghan Human Rights Commission um, who were uh, located in neighbouring Herat. Uh, and they, they agreed to, to do regular monitoring visits. And she also organised a community visitor and mentor program for the boys. Um, now, uh, this this group here, the the lady there is the the, the officer that I was mentioning before that uh, did this work at the juvenile detention facility, and the rest of the group are, are various players in child welfare and and uh, the ministry of um, social affairs in that area. And uh, part of the other part of the mission was to uh, help the, the local actors to devise a strategic plan for uh, child protection for the coming year. And uh, the emphasis was on the eradication of child labour and access to education. 
and uh, you can see there they've got the butcher's paper and, and everyone was working away and we felt quite chuffed that, that we put together a, a, a very uh, sound, comprehensive plan and, and, uh, and, and it was a good thing. And I'm not saying it wasn't a bad thing, but I just want to uh, take you to, to what happened when we finished. Um, at the end of that, that two-day period, the, the director of the ministry, the gentleman there uh, sitting down, uh, said um, he asked for a photo to be taken with his staff. And, and when I asked why the child was in the photo, he said, well, he works in my office as my, I'm my personal secretary. Um, so when we were leaving, I, I said to, to, to our local colleague, what will happen to that child, you know, given we'd done the child? She said, oh, well, he could lose his job and then a replacement would be found. So one can assume that one's working on a certain level, but one has to understand the local environment within <coughs> which you work. Um, this here is a, a picture of the border crossing between um, uh, Afghanistan and Iran in Nimroz uh, province. Um, when people are deported, a bus goes halfway across a bridge, it stops, and then the people are asked to get off, told to get off the bus, and then they walk the rest of the way. And um, uh, what happens is that um, the Afghan uh, Human Rights Commission and UNHCR are, are there on, on, uh, on, on the most of the days uh, when these crossings occur, or deportations occur, and they identify, if they can, particularly <coughs> vulnerable uh, individuals. And uh, in this case, this is a, a family uh, and uh, we talked to them and they said that uh, they, they'd gone in, uh, to Iran with the hope of uh, getting a job and making a new life and, and the economy was such in Iran that they couldn't eke out a living. So they were, they were returning to Helmand uh, and had no real knowledge of what the conditions would be back in their village but, but uh, that, that was uh, their option. Um, this boy is um, Hazara boy uh, from Bulk province, and he and 15 other boys um, had walked over the, the, the border with a, with a smuggler to find work in Iran. And uh, on the third night in Iran, uh, there was a police raid and all the children were deported. Um, uh, a lot of children uh, move into Iran or into neighboring Pakistan, um, to, to selected and selected by their, their village, their families to, to, to as capable young uh, boys to, to, to try and uh, generate an income. Um, and in this case, uh, the smuggler was in cahoots with the Iranian police and, and these children uh, basically were, were sent back within days. Um, and, and the idea when, when the villagers make this decision is to send a young, intelligent, strong boy um, and, and the, the part of the arrangement is that the smuggler will also arrange with wherever the person is employed to send remittances back to the village. Now this, this child's options, he had really two options as, as he saw it um, and indeed the staff I spoke to. Um, UNHCR would pay uh, his bus fare, just put him on a bus uh, back to his local village 
or he could become a drug mule uh, between on the border of Nimrus and Iran to pay off a smuggler and eventually try and make the trip back into Iran to, to, to find work. Um, I just want to end on a slightly lighter note in Nimros and say, and often when you go there, there'd be a group who heard you're in town and they, they want a meeting. So anyway, there was a meeting scheduled just as we were about to, 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 to leave and uh, it was the Olympic, they called themselves the Nimros Olympic Committee. And uh, they said they had land, they had a bulldozer and they had sporting soccer teams and uh, there was much dust and heat and what they needed was an indoor soccer stadium just like the Italians had built in Herat um, and, and that was their request. Um, I want to move now to Hanshia and uh, on, on a mission there to investigate children being held in adult prisons uh, again a group had scheduled a meeting we tended to leave time for groups to meet us if, if they had something and in this case um, it, it was uh, a group uh, a couple of actually I think there were three of them drug addicts they, they, they presented themselves as drug addicts and they said uh, they'd walked uh, uh, four to five hours for their meeting and, and this was what they wanted to, to, to say they'd observed that boys in the villages were resorting to drugs they were not working and they weren't playing sport. They had a bad future. They, the, these gentlemen, had been in Pakistan during the Taliban occupation and they'd seen boys playing sport. Many families now had no longer had goats or, or, and the drought had impacted on, on uh, their crops. So their question was, why didn't the UN send a man up into the villages to teach the boys how to make chairs, meaning the day beds that they often sit on, and um, and they would uh, the village elders would have the boys ready and a place to to do the, the 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 training. Then they said the boys would have a skill; they could sell their chairs in the bazaars in Kabul, and they'd make an income. Um, as it happened. Uh, we got back to Kabul and the education program, uh, we were talking about this issue of sport, and they said they had these, um, these kits and they were metal boxes uh, that, that contained everything you need for two sports. And so we went back and uh, uh, they were asked to, to devise the rules if, if they were to get one of these kits. Anyway, what they came up with uh, was it's to, to, to keep the kit safe and repair it. Uh, they, would, they would allocate people, one to, to, to be the minder, one in charge of repairs, coaches and training and competition. And uh, they undertook to, 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 to get the training started within a 10-day period. Now, I, I, I throw that in because on another level at the same time, um, a person had been appointed to a ministry in Kabul um, to, to be a director of sport and, and she uh, had a, a, a lot of education she'd been educated in France uh, indeed she had a PhD and, and she had a lot of knowledge but it was making the connection at the local level and, and, and taking an idea from the grassroots up 
uh, creates a different ownership. And she was, in fact, finding it very difficult on, on her missions to, to link with local people and for local people to understand what she could do. Um, I just want to say very quickly a little bit about orphanages. They're not supported by UNICEF or other UN agencies, but they do exist, and they tend to exist uh, to some extent as day centres and boarding schools providing meals and education and accommodation. Uh, in this particular photo, a uh, little boy with a hat in the second row, uh, we were there to, to, to look at the you know, situation and uh, whether the children had families and why they weren't attending schools in villages and so forth. And he just stood up and said, well, why are you here? Why didn't you bring chalk? Um, so, you know, um, that really, uh, I think, moves to the next issue, which is education. Now, just before I do that, um, this is a picture of an orphanage in Faisabad uh, where there were 100 boys, and uh, they, the conditions were very ordinary. That's the cook and that's the kitchen. Um, but uh, when you talk to the boys, they said, uh, we have some education, we're getting a feed, and, and, and this is good. I just want to touch now on, again on child labour, and, and child labour is, is prevalent. Um, and uh, this, this shot here is taken at the Torquem border, and, and there, there is so much uh, child labour at this uh, particular border location that an NGO is funded by UNICEF um, to, to run a school, and children that are working are encouraged to take time out from, from uh, work uh, to, to attend the school. Now, th this, uh, the two children here are in fact a brother and sister that, that work at the crossing to support a drug-addicted father in a neighbouring village. Um, that's the, the little girl there at work uh, collecting scrap metal. Um, boys are also uh, in, uh, engaged with a, with a master. I guess it's a form of an apprentice system. And uh, there were reports that some of the masters indeed are, are very good and that the children learn and develop a skill from that, um, but, but uh, there's no real standards and monitoring of that, and so if you get a, a bad master, you can be brutally treated and, and uh, you work every day. Um, there, there's no access to education and so forth. So there are a lot of children, you walk along the, the, the rows where they're repairing cars and so forth, and these children were all sort of working and, and living under their master. Um, I, I want to end with uh, this picture because I, I think it, uh, it tells a very important story about the... the, the, the uh, the future of Afghanistan, and it's, uh, uh, the, the, it comes from the question that I used to ask uh, uh, national colleagues in the field, and it was obvious when you were just walking up the street and you would see girls who attended school. You can see in that photo the, the, the confidence and, and uh, the, 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 the sense of purpose that the girls have. Um, who are attending school. That, that's their national uh, school uniform. And in the background, and I'm sorry there's a couple of heads missing, um, are boys who, who 
our child labourers. And uh, I think that education for boys and girls is, 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 is a cornerstone to um, future strengthening of child protection. Uh, I just want to quickly um, talk about, um, we decided we'd have a national conference of, of the uh, people that were running the, the ministry in these committees, including uh, the, the gentleman that was running the brick factories and, 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 and I guess what you'd call the hardliners. And uh, anyway, this, this conference we sat down in the Kabul office and, uh, and uh, I thought, you know, that the theme might be preventing child labour and, and, and strengthening the education system or something like that. Anyway, the theme they came up with was every child deserves a childhood. And, and the sorts of topics that they uh, decided on for their workshops included the farmer has a debt, he sold his goats, is his only option to exchange a daughter to settle the debt? Another one was how to enable children to contribute to the family income and attend school. Um, what was used during the, this conference went for nearly three days and what was used uh, during the conference was uh, an organisation that uh, is in Kabul, it's the Children's Circus. And for those of you that are familiar with Circus Oz and those sorts of organisations or institutions, um, the Children's Circus is just that. Children go there, it's run by a Swedish organisation, they learn to juggle and acrobats and lots of, you know, music and so forth. And they're very skilled and, and very good performers. And, and, and they were used in this conference to feature childhood as a necessary and happy experience. And they also role-played uh, gender-based violence. And uh, I think, by and large, it, it was a very successful conference because every aspect of it was the, the, the local people. They decided what they would talk about. It was only the Afghans that were presenting. And, and I think it was a significant step in taking, taking these sort of issues forward. Now, just in conclusion, um, I, I think it uh, is important to note that there are, there are challenges. Um, there is extreme poverty. One third live in absolute poverty, and another 37% hover on the edge. There's long-held cultural norms and attitudes about women and children that create barriers to promote and realise legal protection to enable human rights. And insecurity is rife throughout the country, making it hard to access areas and follow up with all the parties on re reported abuses and to support communities. Um, I, I want to end by a, a quote from um, William Dalrymple in his analysis of the first Afghan wars. And, and he quotes from a, a spy master just uh, at the time when, indeed on the eve of the, uh, the British invasion in 1839. There's nothing more to be dreaded or guarded against, I think, than the overwhelming confidence with which we are too often accustomed to regard the excellence of our own institutions, 
and the anxiety that we display to introduce them in new and untried soils. Such interference will also always lead to acrimonious disputes, if not to a violent reaction. Now this comment was made in regard to governance, um, but nonetheless I think it equally applies uh, to, to, to the approach we take with the development of aid, and in this case, uh, building a national child protection system. Uh, the way forward is to, to develop and foster local ownership of not only the problem but solutions and bring about partnerships at all levels and also build on previous achievements. Technical skills and resources from outside are only part of the picture. So I'll finish there. Thank you very much, Kerry. I think the story that you've told us is one of, of the desperation that comes from poverty, from insecurity, and also from discrimination, but also a, a story of the complexities and a story of hope, um, which is a very positive message. So we will open it to questions. While people are just gathering their thoughts, I might just take the chair's prerogative and ask. I have two questions, so please put your hand up if you have another one, otherwise I'll ask my two. Um, in terms of uh, the way in which uh, you identified individual cases, yes. how did that come about? Was that um, that you were contacted? Did you go okay. out and, and okay. seek cases? Okay. How no. did that process okay. work? Um, the UNICEF funded uh, a staff person in the ministry and in a number of provinces. And part of the training was that they would set up a referral system and establish the networks and they, they had a form to fill in monthly uh, which had the different categories, uh, protection categories, so recruitment of child soldiers, um, early child marriage, whatever the issue. And, and the idea was that they would fill in that form and that would go to the provincial committee and the, the, the provincial committee would discuss it and try and work out the case plan for the individual child and then that was reported up to the country office, UNICEF and the ministry. And, and they were the reports that I then used when I went out on, on missions as an entree into the area. So was, is there a, a situation being created where people within the community, parents, mm -hmm. others mm -hmm. who are concerned about an individual case can raise have avenues to which to raise their yeah. concerns? Yeah. Um, the, 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 uh, the development of district committees is also happening and, 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 and that enables the, the people in villages, first of all, to, to, to know that there is a vehicle um, and, and, and that's really the, the, where the, the development of this will occur. Um, but uh, look, there is under-reporting, uh, people are still fearful to report these cases, um, but the reason I actually talked in some detail about the, the, the kidnapping issue um, was to show that, to give you an idea of 
what they were able to do to, to, to show the local people that, that a positive action can occur if they report it. Yeah. Yeah. Two questions yes. over here. Yes. It seems to me that uh, child labour is a reality and probably uh, is a reality and probably it's a matter of directing it into acceptable area and to have it with a mix of education. Yes, I, I agree. Even in yeah. Western countries, yeah. there's a certain amount of child labour in the country, etc. I guess it depends on what sort of work and how long. I can respond by saying I agree with what you've just said. Um, I think it's the reality. Uh, it's a matter of uh, uh, trying to ensure that, 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 that the labour is safe and, and as you've indicated, that, that, that there is education taking place at the same time during that child's development. I think this program is sound. I think that the individual case uh, is a concrete way of, of bringing about change. Um, underlying all of these protection problems is abject poverty. Uh, and until uh, the, 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 this level of poverty is reduced, uh, so in terms of what's symptom and what's cause, uh, I think underlying poverty is, is the key and eradicating, therefore eradicating poverty. Like a, 
together for policy, plan policies of international and domestic policies jointly, or Okay. Well, I, I think you probably know the answer, but <laughs> um, I think what you have to, 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 in order to answer your question, it's a very good question, and I think the answer lies in what, what is the trigger? Why, why, why are women and children on the streets, and why has that increased? And, and I think that's because there are not opportunities, sufficient opportunities, for families to generate an income. Um, and uh, as someone who comes from Kabul, you would know, uh, you will be driving along and you'll see women standing on the roads with little babies strapped to them, begging. Um, and children out there begging and picking up scraps on the roads. The reason they're out there is that they don't have another choice, another livelihood choice. Now, the answer as to how you change that and who changes it, I think it, it has to, the changes have to occur at all levels, and it's social and it's economic. But, but at the end of the day, there aren't jobs for these people. And a lot of people have moved into Kabul, for example. Uh, they've moved back as IDPs from neighboring countries. They've moved uh, from the countryside into Kabul. And many of them are living in shanty uh, camps around the city. The city's grown massively. Um, and, and there simply aren't uh, income-generating opportunities for them. So I... I, I'm, I I don't think that the answer lies in aid. I, I think the answer lies in education, vocational training, and uh, obviously until the, the security situation improves, that may not happen. We are very close to 1.30, and I know people need to get back to, to other places and maybe classes moving in. If there was one more brief question. We probably have time. Thanks. Uh, thank you for your really interesting presentation. Um, I found it fascinating how you were saying that um, often the victims are treated like criminals almost, mm -hmm. particularly the girls that have fled from forced marriage, etc. And I just wondered, are there, is there any access to formalised legal systems for victims of this kind of abuse, or is there just not any system at the moment? Or, um, yeah, what, what sort of, do you see any conviction of people? Yeah. Well, the Afghan Human Rights Commission um, is an important body that, that uh, is assisting in these cases. Um, legal representatives are being trained. There's a program to uh, develop social workers across the country. Um, but I think the problem is that, that there are the customs and, again, the poverty, the poverty, the customs, uh, and, and it's, there's an attitude about the role of women that, that has to change and that will take a long time. Um, but also, I think, uh, so, so there are these developments, that having lawyers and social workers and, and so forth and, and, and case plans for these children, 
and trying to train the judges and the police and, and so forth. But it's getting change in the decisions that are made through the courts. Um, and, and that that takes time to change the attitudes. But, but yes, there is a, a approaches on all those fronts. Yeah. But it's slow. Yeah. Kerry, as, as we close, is there, is there a final comment, a final message that you'd like to leave with us? Or you've, you've given us lots to no, think about. No, that's okay. Um, I think that the, the knowledge and skill and the ability of the Afghan people themselves is, is quite remarkable. And, um, and their resilience. And uh, I, I think that if, if, if the poverty can, can, can be eradicated, then a lot of these other problems that we're seeing, um, will, will, they won't go away, but they'll improve. Mm. Yeah. So, so I think that uh, just finally, the, um, the, the, it's important, particularly in a country that's been invaded and had foreign forces and, and indeed the plethora of international aid agencies occupying the country, that, 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 that all approaches are very much on the basis of that, that they are the key players, that, that they know both the problem and the solution. And that's, uh, in particular, Afghanistan, I think, is a country that uh, really needs to, to have an ownership. Yeah. I think so. I think it's a powerful message to leave us with. And I'd, I'd just add, I think, you know, we often talk about children as the future in terms of what they will contribute and what their yeah. futures will be. I think what you've alerted us to so powerfully and what is so important is to also remember that children live their lives in the present. Mm -hmm. And these kinds of initiatives to improve children's lives now um, are so important. And I think the issues that you've talked about are, are certainly among the most important that, that, that Afghan, Afghanistan faces. But that we face as a global community. So Kerry, thank you very much. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea and the Pacific, and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all the latest updates or connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.